but one thing that we get to do this year is restart our Sermon on the Mount series, which is where we're going to be this morning. We did Matthew 5 leading up to our Advent series, Jesus instructing Matthew 5. Now remember, Matthew, the Sermon on the Mount is Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And so between now and Easter, we'll go through 6 and 7. So I think this is the 12th or 13th sermon in this series on the Sermon on the Mount. And even though we had the four or five week Advent break right there in the middle, uh, we also uh, get to kind of pick right up in the same themes that we left off in. So I want to read Matthew 6, 1 through 4 as we begin. Matthew 6, 1 through 4. Jesus says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. Will you pray with me for the morning? Heavenly Father, we are back in this series, and we do long to live in good ways and live a good life rooted in what Jesus has done for us, and uh, we might be even in this time discovering or rediscovering those old rhythms of grace that we need to constantly be taught by you. For others here this morning, Lord, it might be the first time we're hearing the words of Jesus, and we pray, God, for clarity for us all and as we go through the passage this morning, Father, be kind to us. Show us the better way to live. Show us a life of generosity and kindness that is not built on our own need to be praised, but the one that seeks the reward from you. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. <clears throat> so, I'm like, this week, next week, the next week, and the next week, and the next week, if you can keep up with it, like, we're all doing the same theme. Matthew 6, 1 through right about 20-something, right? 1 through 18. That's where we're going to be for a few weeks. So we'll do this, we'll do prayer, we'll do the Lord's Prayer, we'll do forgiveness, we'll do fasting, but they all have the same theme, which is kicked off in verse 1. So it gives us the theme, and then the following verses give us illustrations. But we're going to include one in what we do today. But uh, Something that some people right now are watching this on Facebook or on YouTube. They're actually on there and they're clicking buttons and they're talking to their friends. And uh, there are billions, and it would be billions of people in the world who have some social media account Facebook, Instagram, Facebook, Messenger, all these Facebook platforms, and WhatsApp. They might have up to two billion, two billion people on them. That's a lot of people. And if you look at Facebook's mission statement, right, it says this. Founded in 2004, Facebook's mission is to give people the power to build community and bring the world closer together. People on Facebook stay connected with friends and family to discover what's going on in the world and to share and express what matters to them. Would prefer a little less sharing and expressing, quite honestly. Uh, I've joined Facebook and deleted my account on multiple occasions, I think about five. It's not you, it's me, and I'm currently in a delete my account mode. I don't see what you post, and I'm very happy about that. 
You don't see what I post? And I'm very happy about that because it doesn't exist. So I just said, you know what? I talked to Courtney. I said, can I just be done with this again? Like she cares. She's like, uh, yeah, I've never had any of those things. So they can really be exhaust, exhausting because they're all about exalting self. I mean, I know we say they're not, but really, you know what gets engagement. Stories about you, pictures of you, your family, your kids, things going on in your life, sob stories, whatever they might be. Like, we know that these are the things that actually get attention. Us. And so, it can really become hard not to feel the need to get incredibly personal with the billions of your closest friends that you might have. And many of us do have FOMO, don't we, right? Of missing out. We are afraid that we're going to miss out on what's, what might be going on. What did you get for Christmas? And how did you spend New Year's? And where are you right now? It's 10.52 on a Sunday, and I need to know. We don't get in on the trend or the hashtag or we don't virtue like something where we just have to let you know how we, well, we totally agree with this or whatever it might be. Uh, then we feel like something's a little wrong. But it's funny because we often don't actually find ourselves satisfied or more connected by using these platforms. And uh, we often find ourselves discouraged and a little beaten down, and yet we keep going back. And I just have to ask myself, like, doesn't Jesus have better for us as a people? And wouldn't you just want, you know, want better? And he would, right? Jesus wouldn't have died for you if he didn't long for us to reflect him fully. And yet so often we just kind of stick our head in the dirt and live our lives as if he doesn't even exist. Or we live our lives so that other people can praise us, which is actually the opposite of what people who follow him should be doing. Rather than just kind of exposing the world to our lives and our families and our needs and the cool things we do or the uncool things that we do, didn't he have a, a way that he would want his disciples to live that is different? And the answer you'll see for the coming weeks is 100% absolutely yes there's a different way for a disciple to live and we re-enter the sermon on the mount right here in matthew 6 and it comes just on the heels of five even though it's been about five weeks since we have had any sermon on the mount teaching and so remember jesus has talked about the law in matthew 5 i didn't come to abolish the law but to fulfill it and he shows us then all of these kind of expansive statements about the law, which is like, you've heard it said this, but I tell you. You've heard it said, but I tell you. You've heard it said, but I tell you. And so he's, he's, he's showing us what his expectation is. Not that you follow the letter of the law and hope that you can you know, get your heaven card, but that you follow the heart of the law, which he embodied and embodies, so that we might actually have life. Now in Matthew 6, he's not talking specifically about the law, but he is talking about righteous habits. Remember how we talked about right living and uh, right standing? And you've got to get the order right, right? So, so right living comes from right standing. 
right standing doesn't come from right living, right? So like if there's a flow chart, you need one before the other. You can't get to one without the other, right? So the Pharisees might have been focused on right living with a hope that it would be their right standing. It's the same question many of us answer and go, hey, why should I let you into heaven? You know, that kind of evangelistic tool that we use, why should I let you into heaven? And people are like, well, because I did good things, right? That from right living comes right standing, but the, but the opposite is true. You need right standing first, and from right standing comes right living. And so now he's going to show us more. He showed us right standing and right living in chapter 5, and in chapter 6, he's not going to talk about specific law statements, but he's going to talk about righteous habits, righteous habits, giving, prayer, fasting, things that the disciples do that if done with the right heart and rooted in the work that he's done can mean a lot for how we grow and how we understand the Lord and how we engage with the Lord. But if we pursue it in the flesh, then we pursue it for the sake of others. And we'll see something in all of these sermons, uh, even though we will spend more time on prayer because he gives an extended discussion on how to pray with the Lord's Prayer. Uh, But the theme that you'll see is secrecy. Secrecy. That the disciple pursues these things without seeking the accolades of man. Even, really, without you even knowing. And that that's a demonstration of a right understanding of what God desires. That I don't want to seek the praise of men. I want to seek the reward of God. So we'll start with verse 1. Sermon hasn't taken a break. We've been talking about right living. We understand the need for right standing to get to right living. And in 6.1, Jesus says, Beware, beware, look out of practicing your righteousness, right? Right living before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Jesus starts with beware. It's like you're, you know, I, when I was a kid, we would write, you know, spend the night at my cousin's house, we'd write signs on the, on the door, like beware, do not enter, back and forth, because there was like my, uh, my cousin Amy's room, but my sister would be there, and I'd be there with my cousin Evan, and we would go back and forth writing pictures of like, do not enter, beware, right? So like there's this ominous tone, like beware, look out for, be on guard against practicing your righteousness before others. So this is how we can say Jesus is concerned about right standing. We realize in all of these statements that we can't ascend to them, so we need to honestly just give up and say, it's you, Lord. And then from there, we can go to right living, but he is concerned about how the disciple lives. He's instructing them, beware of practicing your righteousness in front of others. The whole idea is practice your righteousness in front of God. Like, that's where you go with it. You don't go in front of others, but you do it in front of God. The draw of being seen by others is incredibly dangerous, though, and, and alluring to be seen by others. You know, like, advertisers know this about you, and, and social media people know this about you. Like, when you get a like or a comment or whatever else, like, you get a dopamine hit. Like, you get, your brain tells you, this is good. You need this. It's going to make you feel better. 
So one article, researcher has said it like this, cognitive neuroscientists have shown that rewarding social stimuli, right, a pat on the back, an attaboy, you know, so somebody telling you they like something, laughing faces, positive recognition by our peers, messages from loved ones, activate reward pathways. Smartphones have provided us with a virtually unlimited supply of social stimuli, both positive and negative. Every notification, a text message, a like on Instagram or Facebook has the potential to be a positive stimulus or a dopamine influx. That's why you can't put your phone down, because you think that's going to give you some type of feeling of value. You need to know what people have to say. You need to know what's going on. I need, I need, to, I need to see if they respond. How can I word it just rightly? Right? I think the people who are like, hey, let's make this go viral. Why? For you? And it's funny, because if you're ever like on Twitter and you see something that gets a lot of recognition and you click on it, like one of the things right below it is the same author being like, hey, now that this is so popular, would you please read my book? Or would you please do this? Or would you please uh, go give to this fundraiser? Like, so it all becomes this thing about propping up the thing that we're most interested in. So practicing righteousness in front of others rewards us, doesn't it? There's actually something physiological that we feel when we are rewarded by others. And Jesus is going to warn you that it's empty. Totally empty. It provides you no lasting benefit. But here are some ways that we do it. And we'll see them, you know, continue to see them in the coming weeks. When you tell your believing friends what you're about to go do so that they can realize that you're a super Christian. Hey, here's this need I'm going to go take care of. Or, uh, you know, we'll talk about this some in a, in a, next week. But uh, more when, you, 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 when your prayers, when you pray in such a way that really just exists to inform those around you. Heavenly Father, I pray for Jeremy, the man I met on the street corner yesterday while I was driving to Arby's to get a sandwich, and he had such a great need for you, and I got to share your love with him and a sandwich. And we have these prayers that like just become informative to those around us. And you're kind of like, wait, who are you talking to? Is this for me to listen to you, or is this for the Lord? Because honestly, I think the Lord knows those details. So... Why do I? I mean, he's the one we're talking to. I'm not, I don't need to know these details. But what do we do? Practice our righteousness in front of others, to be seen by them, to be heard, to be exposed <clears throat> in that way. When we share on social media what we've been doing, oh man, I was able to do this, or saw this guy today, or was able to support this thing, or gave to this, or contributed to this, or did this thing, that was just great. Check out where I checked in or where I spent my time or at the end of a long day of ministry. Man, whew, exhausted. Man, what a day. I've been just doing so much ministry. Just so satisfied in the Lord. When you make sure someone heard about the choice you made or the conversation that you had or the stand that you took or uh, even on Venmo if you're a Venmo user where you can just publicly share the things that you have contributed to if you want. Right? Like you, can just, you can actually see what people all over the world are giving money toward if you have an account. You can, of course, set it to private, but many people don't. And so you just get to expose all the things that you're giving money to or receiving money for. Like just think of all the ways that we flaunt what we do. 
And Jesus says, beware. Otherwise, you have no reward. All these moments are like driving down icy roads with no lights and bald tires. They result in disaster. That when we seek the immediate approval of man in our decisions, we're showing off our righteousness. We have stolen future reward and replaced it with something that God doesn't want us to have, which is the praise of man. And the payout is far worse. That you give me an attaboy feels good in the moment, but shouldn't we want well done? That that's our longing, is to hear from our Lord. Not to hear from our friends that they thought we did a cool thing, or that they liked what we did, or rage liked what we did, or whatever it might be. And because this is really something sees and something that can cause us great harm, we actually have to discipline ourselves to not seek immediate satisfaction for the things that we do. We have to change our heart, our focus, by surrendering to our Lord and living in His power we are actually able to live in the way that he would want. Because where are you going to go if you just are left to yourself but having other people see you? Secrecy is not where we like to live. We want to talk about it. If we do a good thing, we want to show it. If we volunteer, we want to say it. It's a battle between the flesh and the spirit. The flesh exalting self, the spirit exalting God. Where do we want to live? Clearly, we want to live in the Spirit, live in the Spirit. But the flesh that and go, no, 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 no. That's not how we're going to do this thing. Because they're at war. If you read Galatians, right? The flesh and the Spirit battle one another. Because the flesh is looking to exalt you so you feel good about yourself, and the Spirit is looking to exalt God so God receives the glory. You can't have both. You can't have both. So the summary statement from verse 1 is just this. Disciples don't brag about the good that they do. They don't brag about it. My kid likes to tell me or others when, when someone's being braggy. You're being braggy. But why do we do it? We do it so other people can affirm us. But what you're going to see in each of these examples is Jesus is going to talk about the braggy way of the hypocrites and the way of the So the way that the world is going to pursue righteousness, you in Christ pursue righteousness. Both of these things will be before us week after week after week with giving, with prayer, and with fasting. The way of the world and the way of Jesus. So what results from this passage in his grace become specific examples given to us by our Lord. He uses the negative and then he uses the positive. The negative first. Verse 2, thus, 
when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do, which is this idea of play actor, or acting in front of you, as they do in the synagogues and on the streets, that they may be praised by others. Now we see motivation. The praise of others. Truly I say to you, they have received the, their reward. So when you give to the needy, don't parade it around. Don't be seen for your philanthropy. I'm not concerned what your charitable contributions are. I'm concerned if you're charitable. But I'm not concerned if you say, hey, well, I gave to this many nonprofits this year. And I gave this much to it. Charitable giving is something that all of us should be doing. Supporting the work of ministry, both at this church and around the world. It is something all of us should be focusing on and emphasizing. It should be a part of our lives. But that we don't need to go, oh, well, hey, let me just talk about it. Let me tell you what I did or what I gave or the fundraiser that I want to have or the money I want to spend on something. Let's just not talk about it. So the negative example, don't, don't parade it around like hypocrites do, like the actors who want to look like they care about something when really they don't, when they're not really interested in giving to the needy. They're interested in you seeing them giving to the needy. That you want to be seen by others. I have to put on a, a face and make, you, and make it look like I care about this because I long for your praise. I long for you to like me, to, to want to be with me and be seen by me. And when you are affirmed by people for doing things, what happens? You want to do it more. Harder, though, because it requires actual submission to God, is the positive example. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. So that, reason, so that your giving might be in secret. And your father, who sees in secret, will reward you. Do we even have a category for meeting the needs of needy people? That's where I've been. Sometimes we finish out the book of Matthew in our F260. Like, you're reading about Jesus' concern for those who are needy. And you start to wonder, man, am I, is that even something on my radar? Not just, you know, ad hoc, but like disciplined, intentional giving to those who are in need. We often actually have rules that prevent it. Don't give to someone who's needy. Be sure you're being wise. Got to be wise, right? Use your brain. God gave you a brain, so be sure you use it. And like, okay, and like, all we're really doing, it seems to be like, like creating a fence, like the Pharisees did, around actually being generous. Now, if you haven't read the book, for example, When Helping Hurts, I would recommend it to you. Because it does highlight the need for the church to support the needy and rehabilitation and care, but they talk about how to do it in a way that actually has significant impact beyond just throwing money at things. So it's a great book. And their whole point is it's hard work to actually be engaged in relief of those who have need. It's hard work. It's grueling. 
to, to give your time and your money and your attention to some of the greatest needs in this world, materially poor, spiritual poverty in which so many people live, physical poverty, not being able to make ends meet, to step into that world like Jesus did for us to alleviate our spiritual poverty. You, it's not just like, you know, smash and grab. Hey, you know, be warm and well fed, which is what James tells us not to do. But to enter in requires work. And secret giving, as Jesus says, secret giving often goes against how we function. It goes against the flesh. Because remember, the flesh wants you to exalt you, and the Spirit wants you to exalt God. When you live yielded to the Spirit, you live a life that honors the Lord. But when you yield to the flesh, your life honors you. And secrecy actually forces you to fight the flesh in that, to surrender to the Spirit, to trust the work of the Spirit. Uh, this is what, um, in, there's this book, Spirit of Disciplines by Dallas Willard, and he just talks about two categories of disciplines. He calls them disciplines of abstention and disciplines of engagement. And engagement are the ones that evangelicals generally talk about. Uh, you know, Bible reading. I'm going to talk to you about the Bible reading plan. I always talk about the Bible reading plan. Here it is, 2021. Get it while it's hot, right? Starts tomorrow. So, like, engagement is, you know, reading the scriptures, studying the scriptures, joining together in fellowship with other believers, being in a community group is a discipline of engagement, coming to worship. Prayer is a discipline of engagement. Secrecy is actually a discipline of abstention, meaning I'm going to intentionally not be seen. I'm going to not do something. I'm going to not seek reward. This is how he talks about it. In secrecy, and he says this, and here again the word is not perfectly suited, right? Because it's hard to make, what's that elusive idea? We abstain from causing our good deeds and qualities to be known. Not that they don't exist, but that they are not known. We may even take steps to prevent it from being known if it doesn't involve deceit. Right? Did you give to that? No! Right? That's deceit. Uh, but contributing to something or handing somebody money or finding a way for them to get it or supporting a need without you having to be seen or known, there's not deceit there. To help us lose or tame the hunger for fame, justification, or just the attention of others, we will need the help of grace. But as we practice this discipline, we learn to love, to be unknown, and even to, listen to this, and even to accept misunderstanding without the loss of our peace, joy, or purpose. Why? Because we're not doing it for ourselves. We're doing it for the Lord and His reward. Then how you view what I do or how I view what you do, is far less significant. And so you become okay being misunderstood, right? There wouldn't, Jesus wouldn't be teaching about this if this wouldn't be a battle for us. This wouldn't be a, something that we will deal with and come across and see. We'd be teaching on it. 
This is uh, how he continues. Well, he continues. Secrecy, rightly, pract- uh, rightly practiced, enables us to place our, and this is his phrase, public relations department entirely in the hands of God, who lit our candles so we could be light to the world, not so that we could hide under a bushel. So the Lord says, you are right, light of the world, city on the hill cannot be hidden, but we're okay with the Lord doing what he does with our obedience to him. And if that brings me to death, then that brings me to death. And if that brings, for whatever reason, notoriety, then it brings notoriety. But that's a dangerous place to be, to be seen by others. And think about Jesus, just for a second. Let's not forget that Jesus ministered on this earth in relative obscurity, in a corner of the globe for a season of time on this earth as he did in the Gospels. Did he do works that were seen? Yes, but even though some were seen and written about, what does John say? The world couldn't fill, not enough books to contain what Jesus did. And then many times, what was Jesus doing? But saying, don't tell people I did this. Don't tell people I did this. Because he had a plan. People usually wouldn't listen to it. But it was Jesus, right? Like they would very quickly just point out that it was Jesus. But Jesus was not practicing his righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. In fact, his benevolence towards us in God's kindness was misunderstood to the point of his death. I mean, if you read with us in the Gospel of Matthew, then wasn't Jesus mocked? If you really are who you say you are, why don't you send angels to come down? And he was mocked by the world. For being who he was, but not living in the way that they thought that he should. Jesus existed to please on this earth, right? I say existed, I'm talking about just that ministry on earth. He said, I only do what the Father tells me to do. I only do what the Father tells me to do. That his life was set toward the cross to satisfy Heavenly Father and the need of our redemption. And even that required the world to completely misunderstand him because he did not seek the praise of man. Even when given opportunities to defend himself, he would not. And isn't that what Isaiah says in Isaiah 53, that, that he opened not his mouth? That when he could have self-justified to those who were watching, he didn't. Because his concern was not on justifying himself to those who were watching, but to honoring his heavenly Father. Doing what was before him. And the same goes for us. And this is what Jesus is teaching. Remember, Jesus is not teaching anything that he himself has not done. Not like, good luck, buddy, like, you know, we'll see how it goes. So when he says, otherwise you have no reward from your Father in heaven, right? Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your giving is in such a way that I would love it. I would love it if just the world found out how generous you were after you died. Love it. 
but they have no clue that you were doing what you did because you sought to always give in secret. And there are people God has blessed with lots and lots of money who have found more and more ways to give in secret. And they've found ways to contribute significantly to the work of the gospel around the globe that you would have no clue about. Businessmen and businesswomen who have set up entire businesses so that they can support the work of ministry, using their creativity to fund things around the world so that Jesus might be known, so that his name might be praised, so that people might speak of him for all eternity. So what do disciples do in their giving? Disciples give secretly to gain a greater reward. Because the reward comes from God. Because what we are doing is done in secret and it's done in faith. That he rewards and it looks for his reward. And it doesn't try to justify. And it doesn't try to look right. We reflect on the nature of our Savior when we do this. We, we reflect the nature of our Savior. We obey his command. We receive the reward that is coming, which in totality is him. But also he does reward. And let's not run from the idea that the Lord rewards. Because it's in the scriptures. Right? Like he says it. I'm coming and my reward is with me. Like he, he is this. And he is generous. He gives gifts to us. He gives spiritual gifts to us to support the church. And things done in faith, he rewards. And even though we get right, casting down their golden crowns, like, like we, he still gives to us. And as we live in faith, right, like store up for yourself treasures in heaven. Things that matter for all eternity. Don't focus down here, but look there. Long for what he brings. And that sobering reminder that Jesus is coming and his reward is with him is such a significant way to calm anxious hearts that want to be seen. The, the greater reward is coming. The greater reward is coming. And if I live as the Lord asks me to live, there's actually great joy there. It is far better than any dopamine hit that might come from you liking my post about whatever significant thing I did. Right? Because disciples are in it for the long game. We're in it for the glory of God throughout all eternity and the kingdom that is coming and the life that will be. And remember, Jesus started this whole thing by talking about this kingdom that's going to be there. The values of the kingdom that the disciple can live out even now. Start living in this way, right? We talk about why, why wait for that? Why not start doing it now? Because we have the spirit, we have his life, and we have his instruction. We live as citizens of another kingdom. So part of that is joyfully and gladly not being seen for obeying God. And joyfully and gladly being misunderstood for doing just that. One of the hardest things for me to learn, and maybe many of you have learned it by now, is this phrase, you have nothing to prove. You have nothing to prove. But I live for proving myself and being approved by you. 
What instruction does Paul give Timothy? Be diligent to present yourself to God as one approved. A workman who doesn't need to be ashamed, correctly teaching the word of truth. So it's one of those funny things, and even pastoral ministry is one of those funny things, or community group ministry, or leading a D group. Like, you long to, to care for the people in your care, and you long for those relationships to be strong, and to see them follow the Lord and to do that joyfully, and at the same time, you're okay with only God hearing you. Because you're honoring Him. So how do we do this in, in regards to our giving? How do we obey this thing? Well, if we have this longing to be seen, then the first question I would ask you is, why is it there? Let's start with the heart, because that's where Jesus goes. Why is it there? Why do you want to be seen? What are you trying to prove? Because disciples don't give to be seen. They don't pray to be heard by others. They don't fast and try to show that off to others. So what are you trying to do there? If there's this desire or longing to be approved and liked and cared for and affirmed by others, what is it? What's going on there? And, and honestly, for some, it might be I've actually never ever surrendered my life to Jesus. I haven't responded to that call to die to myself. I'm still trying to live for myself. If you are pursuing the Lord, then my question might be, what's the battle between the flesh and the spirit? Because I often find that those who are battling this, the flesh by pursuing life in the spirit, that the moment you start to pursue these things, what does the flesh do? It would be like, right? It's trying to warp that because any movement that you make towards submission to God what does it become right opportunity for your flesh to be like we don't do that here that's not how we work and so even resolutions do this right you might have even thought about New Year's resolutions and gone Lord I'm just gonna I'm, I'm gonna do this I'm gonna I'm gonna do the reading plan because it's good to read your word and I'll join a D group because I want to be with others and talk about it and memorize I'll, I'll do that and then Monday morning rolls around, and you're like, what in the world? 52 weeks? This is the dumbest thing I have ever committed to. The Lord loves me regardless. Why do I need this? I'll do it next year. Because right, what happens? I want to I read the scriptures with others and engage it and pray over it and discuss it. And your flesh is like, no, 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 you don't need that. we are submitted and we are surrendered, I would just encourage you in this way, that find ways to meet the needs of people that they cannot discover. That they can't remember paper trail so that they don't go, oh, thank you so much. And if you can't, that's okay, but you don't have to broadcast it. There are Ministries, and you might even be doing this yourself, that minister directly to the poor, with the poor. For example, giving to Compassion International. Right? Like they are a solid organization that does work amongst the poor. 
and it might be a way for you and your family to find intentional ways to contribute to and pray for the needs of others, to broaden your horizon to not just be about you. It's a small thing, really, it is. But it's a way for you to consider what's going on around you. Unrelated to money, this is more about just verse 1 in particular, but those who teach should be cautious about being the hero of their illustrations. I'm okay being the dunce of mine, uh, but the hero, I mean, pastors sometimes have even been known to like tell a story about themselves but not tell you it's about them. Really weird. But about giving, about ministry, about anything, right? If you're in context where you're teaching and instructing and you find an opportunity to make it about you, you're doing a dangerous thing. I'd also say this, <clears throat> because this is a hard thing when we're dealing with hearts, is have others in your life who you give direct access to asking you hard questions. Direct access to asking you hard questions. Perhaps it would challenge you to give more. Does anyone ever challenge your attitude or have the freedom to speak into what you're posting on social media? More than just saying, yeah, anyone can do that, right? We're at church. Just go ahead and tell me. I mean, would you actually go to somebody and say to them, do you see areas of my life where I'm seeking the praise of man and not God? And a couple weeks ago, I had mentioned this. But we have this way of being like, oh, yeah, anybody can tell me anything. I'm like, yeah, but do you invite it? Because when you invite it, it's all different, right? When you actually say, do you see me practicing my righteousness in front of others? Do you see me concerned for the praise of man? Do you see me living in a way that is not generous, that is stingy? And I don't think that having people in your life who have access to you and those questions is gaining your reward from man. I don't, I don't, I don't think that if you say to somebody, hey, are, am I being stingy? Here's, here's how I try to pursue giving. Here's where I give. That's not stingy. Man, I was meeting with a, a friend one time, and the dude challenged me up and down. I was like, uh, you know what? I'm never meeting with you again. I don't need this. Way too much. Because once you actually open yourself up to have others help you, it changes versus kind of that statement of, well, anybody can tell me anything. It, it really You invite it so that they can talk to you about that. What do you see in me, and what habits don't come across as generous, or where do I seek the praise of man and not God, and are there ways that my flesh is living more loudly that I need to confess? And I would also say this, always, daily, pray against the temptation to expose the good work that you do. Go to the grave with your generosity. Be okay being misunderstood. Be okay with people thinking, that guy's crazy. When your children are left with all the files that you left behind for them and the dirty house that they're going to have to figure out what to do with and all the documents that you left filed around forever... Wouldn't it be cool if they said, I had no idea mom gave away this much? 
I had no idea. Dad never told me about this. And you only discovered later that they had a life of generosity. When we give in secret, we reflect our Savior who knew who he was and was comfortable with who he was because he was obeying his Father. And even when misunderstood, he wasn't bothered by it because he knew that his Father was the one giving him the orders and his obedience to his Father was more important than being liked and gaining a following. And as we do this, we gain God's reward. Enduring, imperishable, life with him, however that reward might look, that we could discipline ourselves. I mean, even a lot of the biblical teaching on finances, like discipline yourself now so that at the end of your life it can be awesome. Like you really have to discipline yourself beyond it. You're not just disciplining the first 60 years of your life so the next 30 years could be cool. You're disciplining all 90 years so that the next eternity is with the Lord. Right? Like, like so, so even sometimes our teaching is like that. Now, I get saving for retirement. Like, there comes a day where all of us, no one wants to hire us. Right? Like, like, they just don't want us anymore. And we better have a way to figure that thing out. So I get it. But it's not, it's not this faulty way of going, hey, if you do this now, it's just going to be, like, just, just hang on till you're 60, and then it's baller. No, like, I have something much greater coming. So I want to be generous now, and when I'm 60, and when I'm 70, by God's grace, 80, 90, 100. My grandmother turned 98 yesterday. 98. Like, keep it going, Grandma. What a gal. I called her, too, right, because I'm the hero of my illustration. Right? She didn't answer. just say this. Hearing the Lord say, well done, her faithfulness to him and practicing our righteousness before him is far better than a thumbs up from a friend or a pseudo friend. The Lord's reward is greater than the rewards of this earth.